Welcome to uh, another episode of our podcast, Engagement Zone. Uh, my name is Matthew Manners. If you don't know me, uh, I'm the CEO and founder of the Employee Engagement Awards and Conference, which operates all over the world. Uh, and uh, we, we're really enjoying bringing this podcast to life with amazing uh, practitioners, winners, influencers, and just generally cool people. Um, in the news this week, uh, there's been an eclipse in South America, uh, wowing people all over that continent. Further north, in the United States, they'll be celebrating the 4th of July, uh, all that Paul Revere and down with the British British stuff. Uh, and um, uh, personally, I'm going to be having an engagement party this weekend, uh, a year ahead of uh, marrying my fiance Ivy. Um, but to my guest this week, um, I, I'll really let him tell his own story uh, rather than doing too long an introduction. But for me, uh, he's an inspiration uh, to many uh, into breaking down the, the silence and, and the stigma of, of mental health. And, as he, and he's been doing so for years, long before uh, what we, you know, we see uh, quite uh, prevalently prevalent uh, in, in social media now, which is great. But he was definitely one of those trailblazers that brought it to the masses uh, and brought it to the forefront of our of our thinking. So no further ado, uh, please maybe welcome to the podcast, David Beanie. Welcome, David. Hello, Matthew Manners. Um, thank you for such a kind and generous uh, introduction. Um, so uh, thank you very much. So, so how, how did you find yourself doing what you do now? I can't believe I do what I do now, Matt. I spent 30 years in the corporate world avoiding doing public speaking or talks or anything like that at all because I battled with panic attacks. And now I share my story almost every day in the corporate world of um, how I um, battled with panic, panic attacks for years and years and years. So I certainly never set out to go on this journey. Back in 2016, um, I was asked by the HR director of Autotrade where I was working if I wouldn't mind doing some talks around mental health during Mental Health Awareness Week, but only because she knew that I was a qualified mental health counsellor. And I felt I couldn't say no, but I didn't know what I was going to talk about. And was, a day came when she asked me to send her over some slides, and I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to talk about? And I thought, oh, sod it, just out myself and, and share my, my very private battles around um, anxiety that I'd never shared with or talked with anybody for 36 years. On the 16th of May 2016, I famously outed myself. And, it, and it's absolutely changed my life, Matt. So how did, how did you out yourself? I out, outed myself. Um, it was in a meeting in Manchester. Um, I was told it would be a small, intimate group of people because my HR director wanted to protect my mental health and realised I suffered with panic attacks. But I should have checked with her what she meant by small, intimate groups of people because it was nearly 40 people sitting in a room expecting me to suddenly talk for about 45 minutes. But amazingly, I, I did it. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I broke down. I became quite tearful. It was very emotional for me, but I did get through it. It was extremely cathartic, extremely purposeful. And I ended up doing that same talk about, um, I think about eight times that week. And I realized already that of everything I've ever done in my life, those talks resonated with more people and at a deeper level than anything I'd experienced before. And um, it's, uh, I suddenly realized I've got to keep doing this. I've got to keep sharing my story because suddenly so many people were saying to me, today I've realized I'm normal. Um, today you've 
told the story I've never been brave enough to tell. And I realized it was potentially going to make a real difference for people. So a few months later after that, I set up my business, Breaking the Silence. And I called it Breaking the Silence because um, I, I broke my own silence. But, but these days, I, I honestly think, as you know, that the stigma in the workplace is, is the, is, it's a subject that people just can't talk about. Um, and therefore, I, I'm out there trying to break the silence every day. But, but just going back a little bit to my story, I didn't realize until 2016 that I hadn't um, talked about with anybody in my life, either professionally or personally, my mental health. And I'd kept it quiet for 36 years. And I hadn't really, um, a lot of it was subconscious how I managed to hide it. And I share these days um, very honestly how in some ways my the coping mechanisms I developed became really key to my career and actually helped me become a reasonably successful person in, in the corporate world. But equally, I share how they held me back. To try, to try and make some sense of that, Matt, in, in the late 80s, I became a trainer, which was a nightmare for someone with panic attacks because everyone stared at you. And in those days, training was really boring. People did all the talking. Uh, the trainer did nothing but, sorry, talk all the time. And I thought, how can I do that without becoming breathless? So early in my training career, I started putting people into breakout groups and getting them discussing topics and presenting it back to me. And I, I developed a very interactive, engaging style. Um, when I look back, I was a trainer ahead of my time, but I wasn't clever. I wasn't creative. I wasn't really a trainer ahead of my time. I was simply a guy struggling with my mental health who was desperately trying to take the focus off myself by putting on everyone else in the room. But little did I realize it was really enhancing my career um, while, you know, but what I was really doing was, as I say, trying to hide my, my battles with anxiety. I think the story you know that I talk about is what became the iconic moment in my career. Um, as I became more senior, um, I battled more and more in some ways with, with trying to avoid panic attacks. And I, do a I knew a day was going to come when I was going to have a complete meltdown in front of a lot of people. But it nearly happened in spectacular style. I, I, was, I was at a conference with, with 400 people. And the chairman of the conference suddenly announced to the room that he wanted someone to come onto the stage to summarize the key takeout of his talk. And basically, he picked on me. And I had, Brilliant. I had an awful panic attack in terms of its intensity. No one in the room would have been aware of it because um, my face froze into a smile. And I, I already couldn't breathe, though. And I knew when I got on the stage that um, there's no way I was going to be able to deliver anything because I was really struggling to breathe. Um, ironically, the, the way the mind works... Um, I decided to take control of the situation and, and do something different to what I'd been asked to do. Um, I was still really nervous, but because I'd taken control, it gave me some air back in my lungs. And I knew before the conference had started, they'd asked us all to bring along to this conference one idea we could present in under two minutes to portray our ability to think outside the box. Okay. So when I, when I got on the stage, I did something quite outrageous. Um, I, I said to people, I'm going to give you a choice. I can either attempt to give you the feedback that the chairman's asked me to give you about his speech and to try and summarize his key takeout, or I can get my balls out. 
And um, some people laughed. <laughs> some people looked incredibly disapproving. And a lot yeah. of people sat there thinking, did he actually say he was going to get his balls out? And what nobody knew, Matt, was that my pockets were full of all those super bouncy balls. So I quickly put people's minds at rest and I started bouncing these, these bouncy balls around the room. And um, I, 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 from somewhere, I gave a talk about resilience and the importance of um, carrying a little bouncy ball. And when you're having a crap day, you get your ball out, you bounce it and you say, right, I'm going to bounce back like my ball. And it became the moment in my career that was most ever talked about. It was the moment it, it, it was so talked about because in front of the entire business I was working for, I ignored the chairman of the company and just did my own thing. Of course, what nobody knew until I outed myself about my mental health, that what was really going on I was I was just trying to mask a panic attack. I, and it, it's it's so easy to do, isn't it? It's obvi- like, as, as people keep pointing out now, if you if you break a leg, if you if you fall over, there's a visible scar and people ask you if you're OK. But with this stuff, you know, the, 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 the pained, paralyzed smile you had or or the, the bravado you might show on stage, nobody would nobody would know that you what you were going through. No one, no one has any idea, Matt. And uh, the irony is we tend to check in with the quiet guy who sits in the corner who looks like a miserable kid. Now, he's probably absolutely fine. The guy in the office who makes everybody laugh every day is more likely to be the guy who's hiding his mental health. I think four and a half years now since we, we lost one of the funniest comedians of all time in Robin Williams. And Robin masked his um, very dark, depressive side for many years with his humor. And there's been many, many people in, 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 in history who have been, you know, gone to extraordinary lengths to mask their, their, their mental health by being funny or creative. Well, one, sorry, 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 Dave. I was going to say one of the, one of the, most, the scariest stats in the UK, and I think it translates most places in the world, is that, you know, uh, the, the number one cause of death for men under the age of 45 is, is suicide. And um, yeah. uh, we're, we're also going to get to some positive points around how we can ha- help businesses you know, break down these, the, the silence. But, you know, I just think that's a, a, fr- a frightening stat, really. It's, it's unbelievable, Matt, because um, people on one hand say that, um, you know, nearly eight out of 10 suicides are male, which is scary enough in itself. But yeah. I think it's even scarier that suicide is the biggest killer of men, um, certainly under 50 years old. We, we do have one reasonable excuse. I, I would like to, to throw this one in here, and I'm not making light of it at all. But we're, we're told from very, very young little boys that, um, you know, the big boys don't cry. It's what girls do. And we're told it's weak to show our emotions. But we've, we've got to stop saying that to little boys because, you know, a real man is a man who can say I'm not OK. A real man is yeah. a man who can say I'm struggling. And uh, we've got to, you know, start sort of using the way uh, young, young males think about displaying their emotions because that's a big part of it. And uh, I've got some myself. I, I was as guilty of it as anybody, Matt. Well, yeah, and you know, uh, uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, in in uh, in light of like obviously you sharing your story, I'm, I'm going to uh, share one one uh, story that only two people know to date. Um, it was actually probably the biggest day of my my life or career. It was the first gala awards night in the UK. Um, we had you know f- from from zero to 500 people in the room, and uh, I felt like I had to do my duty as founder and CEO to, to welcome everyone everybody into the room uh, and I was feeling absolutely fine until about uh, 10 minutes beforehand when the f- we told everybody to stop drinking their champagne and to make their way into to the dining room 
And I turned to my, I invited my mother along and my best friend, and there's a nice table of family and friends at the front. And I just turned around and I said, I cannot do this. And I started to struggle to breathe. <laughs> um, and, and, and they were like joking. I went, no, I'm serious. I cannot get up on stage. Um, and luckily, luckily, uh, we'd got presidential glass or an auto cue, depending where you're in the world. And if I hadn't have had that to basically lean on, I, I don't know what I would have done, but it was the fact I had to get up there. Uh, but yeah, I, I almost, yeah, it was one of the, the, worst and best moment five minutes of my life <laughs> so you know so it is amazing that people just do not know um and i i love i love uh, people like yourself who are starting to break down these barriers and making it more acceptable to to ask for ask for help or share stories like that that just makes it normal because i i, I think everybody has a story that they can relate to it you know so most people who contact me, Matt, are very senior people often uh, operating in the boardroom. And uh, they, are, they admit that they're so scared of showing weakness in the corporate world. They think if, if they show weakness, someone's going to jump into their shoes. And there's been some brilliant evidence recently that um, you're more likely to lose your job in the boardroom if you don't show weakness. Because as we know, you inspire people when you share vulnerability. And if you want to keep the dressing room with you, the best way is to show the human side of you. Yeah, uh, we, yeah. We all think we have to be so perfect in life when we need to be kinder to ourselves with the irony being when, when we show that vulnerable side, we inspire more people. Um, we've got to you know, put ourselves under so much less pressure than what we do. And I think the reason I can these days do these talks, despite still battling with panic attacks, I'll never be cured, is because I've discovered self-compassion. I, I give myself permission to have one. And ironically, by giving myself permission to have one, I don't have one because I'm relaxing myself because I'm, I'm not setting myself such incredibly high standards of perfection. Yeah, well, no, I, I, I love getting up on stage now. Uh, you know, it's... Um, the, my 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 guests and attendees might not, but I, I, I like it now. But um, um, but I think the the point around human is 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 very important. One of our past guests, Cecile Peer, um, it sort of focuses all about you know the human in uh, human at work, and to ignore the fact we're human beings and we have these issues and problems, and uh, the sociology of, and anthropology of 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 our race um, is, is one of the most important ways to start engaging with the workforce understanding who we are and how we behave and what we feel um and i think it's great that those things are starting to really come through um in, in different businesses all over the world fabulous fabulous um so how can businesses how how can businesses start to break down these barriers and 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 the silence that's existed for so long how, how are you helping companies I think one of the key messages I send out to people, Matt, is that um, bear in mind I've, I've done a lot of counselling for Mind and I've been a trustee for Mind. Um, a lot of the mental health charities, they talk about one in four and uh, they think that they're, they're helping the situation by sharing with everybody that one in four of us every year is going to suffer a degree of poor mental health. I don't think that helps. I think that we have to re-educate people that it's not one in four, it's one in one. We've all got physical health. We've all got mental health. We've got this perception in the UK particularly that you've only got poor mental health if you're diagnosed with depression or anxiety. But we've got to get across to people that 
if you're going through a period where you're not sleeping very well, your energy levels are a bit low and you're struggling to concentrate, that's also poor mental health. We all suffer poor mental health at some stage every single year. And when something becomes one in one and not one in four, we're destigmatizing it. We're making it easy to talk about. We're suddenly sort of talking to complete audiences of, 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 of populations of companies and with a subject that's relevant to every single person in the room. And once we realize mental health isn't just about those far more serious debilitating cases, but something that can impact all of us, it does become easy to talk about um, in the same way we talk about physical health. So certainly one of my key messages is that we've got to start talking one in one and not one in four. I'm trying to help boardrooms understand as well that, that mental health isn't a fluffy subject. It's not HR's latest thing. They, they mustn't feel under pressure to do something because there's a lot of talk in the media. Yeah, do mental health, yeah. Absolutely. If they get their well-being strategy right, they will drive energy across their business. Um, it's, it's all about educating managers. And, and something I'm going to say that will surprise some people, it's not educating managers about mental health. It took me five years to qualify as a counsellor. Um, it's still a difficult job after five years of training. It's evidence-based that managers won't speak to people about mental health because they don't feel qualified. Well, we have to help, understand, help them understand they don't need to be qualified. They're, when I talk about training of managers, it's about educating them to become kinder and more personal. It's about starting one-to-one -one meetings with saying, you know, not, not saying to Matt Manners, um, how are you getting on with your sales figures? How are your KPIs? How are your objectives? It's saying, Matt, forget work today for the first 10, 15 minutes. Tell me about your marriage, you know, really exciting times for you. What's going on in your life at the moment? And it's getting to know you on a more personable level so that if ever you are in a dark place, you feel that you can trust me and talk to me and we have that sort of relationship. And then one day, if you bravely said to me, David, this is really difficult for me, but um, I've got some real issues going on at the moment that I've never told you about before. And um, I, I think I need some help with, with my mental health. But I would say back to you, Matt, thank you so much for sharing that. That really can't have been easy. And then I say to you, Matt, I really want you to do a couple of things if you're not already. I want you to go and see your GP, just as you would with a physical health issue. But I also want you to contact a counsellor through our employee assistance programme. And at no stage would I attempt to fix you because I'm not qualified. Mm. My job is to create a relationship where you feel you can talk to me. And when you do, I, I sign post-professional help. And that, to me, is what educating managers is about. It's not training them to become uh, mini counsellors or experts in mental health. I think some some businesses are overcomplicating it because I I do think it does link back to engagement because you're talking about managers and like one one of the stats in the UK uh, that came out last year was uh, one in ten uh, employees feel like they can go talk to their line manager if if they have an issue mental health or otherwise um, work or and and that's a serious problem if you can't go talk to somebody at work when you have an issue of of any kind um, that that's going to be a breakdown so I think if the more engaged Engaged uh, workforce a company can have, um, and the more the more open it will become, the easier these conversations will happen, and, and that will break it will break down the the stigma without even attempting to break it down because people are more engaged and, and there's a culture of of uh, you know collaboration within the workforce. 
I totally agree. I, I spoke at a company conference this morning and the, the HR director came up to me afterwards and said, he said, what your work is really all about is making my managers better people managers, isn't it? Yeah. And I said, in a way, yes, it is. Because, you know, we all know if you, if you work for a manager who's kind, who's caring, um, who... Um, you know really cares about your well-being you're actually going to work harder for them you're less likely to go off sick you're less likely to leave that company you're less likely to make mistakes you're more likely to be productive so caring about somebody's well-being is actually just going to drive their employee engagement and as we all know that will impact on the bottom line of any business yeah um, where i go into some companies and i'll, I'll admit that the culture is quite toxic and it's quite clear they're ticking a box and they don't really care about it their people um you know they always have high 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 figures around staff churn and absenteeism and and it's um they uh papering over the cracks absolutely and um but businesses and, and and you and i know it's becoming more and more evidence-based that if you if you get your well-being strategy right it is so closely aligned to employee engagement and it can only be good for both the employer and the employee so so what what's what, what are you up to outside of work uh when, when you're not going in and inspiring companies to to, to do more um are we have you had a holiday this year yet or going on one I've just got back from Bulgaria, where I'm, I'm very lucky enough to have a home, which is my, my, my bolt hole. And as you, Matt, one thing we both share in common, that we are, we are both getting married next year. We are. Um, and as you know, that, that takes up a lot of time and yeah. is a, a very exciting time for both of us. And uh, if I'm right, we got engaged uh, on the same weekend last year, on exactly <laughs> the same weekend. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we've, uh, we've got a, a, lot, a lot going on in common there. So um, yeah. exciting times ahead for, for you and I. Indeed. It's come around quite quickly, though. Uh, I don't know, don't know where the time's yeah. disappearing, but... Uh, it's definitely coming around quite soon. So, um, so yeah, no, look, um, I would really strongly advise anybody who has any questions, doesn't know where to begin, to, to look up David uh, on Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, as you can hear, he's very approachable, uh, great guy. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend that. We'll be publishing publishing this on our website. Uh, David has spoken at past Alliance events as well in the UK, so you might bump into him on one of those. Uh, but for now, David, look, just keep on keeping on and thanks very much for being a guest thank you so much as always it's been a great pleasure talking to you thank you so much My pl our, our pleasure um come back uh, check back with us in the next few weeks or days even uh we have more podcasts coming fast and furious at you this summer uh take care thanks for listening bye-bye